0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts and as always I am your good friend and host Steve Roberts and it's interesting not much going on on the field or on the court here last uh, 24-48 hours. I guess Mississippi State baseball played on Monday. We're going to break that game down after the break but uh, you know we're usually having multiple games this time of year. Of course uh, Mississippi State men's basketball will be in action tonight against the University of Virginia. That's a game that would have been hosted in the Humphrey Coliseum had we not begun renovations. Of course, the target date to begin renovations was established some time ago. And to be fair, you know, with the expectations of this team, we never thought we'd really be in play to host an NIT game. We thought we'd be in the NCAA tournament. But um, that's the situation. So we'll break down Virginia a little bit later in the show. And, uh, of course, the women's uh, season is over as the Sam Purcell era begins at Mississippi State. course, Louisville working towards a potential Final Four opportunity will be, uh, I guess, pulling for them in some respects. I mean, the recruiting aspect of things, not quite like it was or is for football. You know, when the coaching changes happen uh, in football, you you want your guy there immediately to begin recruiting, kind of holding a class together. Just not the case in women's basketball or even men's basketball for that matter. So, not a lot of urgency in that respect, but, uh, you know, hearing some things, too, that, uh, you know, Coach Purcell is beginning to uh, to have some interviews, begin to start putting a staff together. That'll take place sooner rather than later. Even hearing uh, connections to a former WNBA player as one of the bench coaches. Not a lot of names just yet, but uh, we'll do our best to keep you abreast of things over on jeanspage.com, our, uh, our pal, Robbie Falk. Keeps his ear to the ground about all things women's basketball related. So we'll have we'll have some updates on the things that we hear over there. Be sure and check those out. If you're not a subscriber to jeanspage.com, you darn well should be. What are you waiting on? Good top 10 list today, suggested by your friend Roy Samante. Gonna do something a little bit different, and uh, you know, Aerosmith list did really well. You guys like him Aerosmith, and you should. I had a few people that said, "Hey, Steve, you've got." uh, Aerosmith rocks too low. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. It's not to say that there are a lot of bad Aerosmith albums. I think some of the later stuff, uh, is a little bit disjointed, but some classic albums for sure from America's greatest rock band, Mississippi state baseball in action this weekend against the university of Georgia. We'll begin sec play I already booked my rooms. I will actually record Friday's show probably Thursday night probably do it Thursday night so we can get on the road Friday get over there get checked into the hotel you know get settled and uh enjoy Athens Georgia and I like these uh, earlier game times not gonna lie, especially road and was here I like them a little bit later but uh, road games especially on the getaway day I like the fact that we're gonna play that game a little bit earlier so that'll be cool so eager to get going I feel pretty good about the team I can't say I feel great we're going to break some things down on the show uh, in the next segment once we complete the baseball review of the win over Bingington on Monday. Kind of bring you up to speed on where we are and kind of what, what we're seeing and thinking when it comes to Mississippi State baseball. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love them. They love me. They love you, too. I love you, too. Bulldog Burger Company, a great place to break bread to, with friends, family, colleagues, Whatever the occasion, Bulldog Burger Company has a meal that will fit you. You go there for the great restaurant quality hamburgers. You probably stay for the spring rolls or even the Shipwix Donut Bread Pudding. So many great options to choose from. I continue to hammer this point home, and I'm going to continue to do so until I know that you have it. The portions. There are a lot of places that serve good food. But not as many places serve the generous portions you get at Bulldog Burger Company. That's the best thing about it. You're not getting as much value in your gas purchases these days. Well, the one place you know you're going to get more than your money's worth is Bulldog Burger Company. Be sure and go check them out today. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, Lake Harbor Drive there in the central Mississippi area. Ridgewind, Flowood, Madison, Brandon, whatever you'd like for it to be. It is well within driving range for you. Have an adult beverage, have the chocolate shake to go. You can get a combination of a lot of great options there at Bulldog Burger Company. The Bryant was a longtime favorite of mine. I'm still, Pimentology Ad Bacon is still probably my burger of choice there. But I do like the wings there, too. I do. And, and I, I'm, I'm a wing guy. I enjoy wings. I don't get to eat them in public very often. You know, when you've got a beard like I do, you know, you've got to be careful. You don't want to get a little ranch dripping down your chin into your beard. So I get those wings to go, and I have them here. And I love them. I do. I love them. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, a bit of a struggle Monday night for a while. Of course, we end up putting the game away. But, yeah, it was a little bit of a tussle, and uh, and, and a lot of that self-inflicted. And that's kind of been the case with this team. It's like when we play clean, we're tough to beat. When we go out there and we don't execute, We end up in a bit of a tug-of-war. That's what happened on Monday. You recall the game was originally scheduled to be played on Tuesday due to rain in the area, and it was rainy here yesterday. I can't say that it was like a torrential downpour, but it was wet most of the day. Uh, Certainly not baseball weather, so it was smart to play the game on Monday. Bingington couldn't play on Wednesday. So you get it done. We get there, and we find out the game has been delayed. Bingington's bus had broken down. Now, the first report was in Tuscaloosa. Found out later it was actually on the way here. They were about a half hour away. And Big E, Everett Kennard, gets in one of the Mississippi State buses and goes and fetches the Bearcats and brings them back to Starkville. So we were thinking, you know, goodness, it might even be a 7.30 start. The game was originally scheduled for 6.00. We actually get going at 6.30. So good job, Big E. Taking care of things, guy's been around a long time. So we get going here uh, with the Bearcats, and I think I called them the Bears several times during the game, and that's cool, whatever. Uh, no disrespect intended. But the Bearcats uh, get to work for us, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah, that's the thing I thought about too: is if you're coaching that team, okay, you come off a sweep, you've been swept at Alabama. You find out, hey, we're going to move it up early and maybe get home a little earlier, and I don't know how they got home. But you have all these things go wrong. The schedule changes. You break down on the way here. It's tough to get guys motivated with all of that, especially when you're 3-9, and nine, now 3-10. and 10. It's like we're losing. We've come down here in the SEC country. We've kind of got kicked around a little bit, and then the bus breaks down. We've got to sit out there that's frustrating but it all worked out so bottom of excuse me top of one you know we have Jack Walker on the mound Jack a little up and down and again I'm a Jack Walker fan this guy's a true freshman I think in some respects he may have had his confidence shaken a little bit out there in Tulane I mean that's a game that if you recall we're up big in that game 10 to 2 we bring in Jackie doesn't retire hitter and gives up five runs That's a difficult thing to bounce back from as a young person. It would be difficult for any of us. But uh, the reality of it is, is, you know, you're a young guy out there, you know, trying to carve out a niche for yourself and you didn't get the job done. So he's back on the mound and, again, kind of a little bit up and down here. And he was the victim, too, of a self-inflicted wound uh, by the Mississippi State defense. Not really on Jack in that respect, but uh, that kind of allowed some anxiety, shall we say. But top of one... He gets a leadoff hitter to strike out swinging. Very efficient situation there. It throws the first pitch strike, uh, swinging. The next thing you know, it's an 0 2 count. We, we waste a pitch. They won't chase. And then we strike them out. Pretty efficient effort there. Well, then we walk the next guy. We hit the third guy. So now all of a sudden, you got runners on first and second and some drama there at Duty Noble Field. You get the cleanup hitter Sullivan to strike out swinging on three pitches. And you say, okay, we're a pitch away from getting out of this. And then Tully singles back up the middle in the very first pitch, drives in a run, it's one-nothing. We follow up with a fielder's choice there and force the runner at second. So again, I think it's the third time in four games. You know, we're down one-nothing. No fear, Mississippi State gets the swing too. Jess Davis, who uh opened up as the leadoff hitter, and I'll be honest with you. I think we need Jess Davis in lineup more. Number one, he's an elite defender, even though he had a bit of a, an issue in, in in one inning here. The guy makes some Mariah about it, catches, he tracks the baseball well. He is a stolen base guy. We need that at the top of the order. Maybe he's your leadoff guy. Maybe he is. And based on what I saw from him in this ball game, I think I'd probably start him Friday night against Georgia. So he walks on four pitches. Doesn't take a lot of skill to do that, but you got to have a good eye to play, not to chase anything. And what does he do? He's still second base. So right away, we've got the leadoff guy on and in scoring position with three outs to work with. KJ then strikes out swinging. Hancock uh, reaches on an error, hits the uh, baseball through the second baseman, and Davis comes around to score. Even though that ball, you know, kind of trickled into the outfield, there was no doubt Davis is going to score. He is pretty fleet of foot. It's not a game is tied. Logan Tanner then reaches on a fielder's choice. Uh, they force Hancock out at second. Close play, though. Hunter Hines then follows with a double to left field. And then Logan Tanner scores. And that's a long way to run for the big fellow there. LT scores from first on a double to left. Good effort to say the least. Callum Clark follows through with a single to the right side, continues to hit the baseball hard. That's a great sign, too. Hines scores. And is now a 3-1 ball game. Kumbis reaches on a fielder's choice. They force a runner uh, at second. And again, a close play. I like the energy that Callum Clark is playing with. You know, he beat a throw to second over the weekend, but they have to bring it. You know, he is not a guy that's just gonna like give you the out. So it's a 3-1 ballgame now for state after one. I feel like we're okay here. Bottom of second. We pitch ourselves into some trouble, and then we gift them three runs. DeVitro doubles down the left field line on an 0-2 count. It's not like we were behind; it. it's an 0-2 count. We probably called a little too much to the plate there. Good job of hitting by him uh, for the double. Mason K swinging, and then the guy lays down a great bunt. The nine-hole hitter Corey lays down a great bunt. Now there's runners on the corners with less than two outs for the top of the order. Good baseball there. Good baseball. Uh, to say the least, you got you got the guys on your pretty efficient situation. You think if we can elevate a baseball here, we got a chance to get a run. Well, we get Matheny swinging and really battled in this at bat too. Got down 2-0 in the count, worked it way back, full gets the case swinging. Those are the kind of moments that young people will pull confidence from. It's like okay, I've had some things not go my way this inning. I've missed a spot. The guy lays down a near-perfect bunt, and i got to face the leadoff hitter. And rather than fold, Jack Walker really battled. We get the case wing in there. Again, we're thinking, okay, we are a pitch away from getting out of this. And then we walk him on four pitches to load the bases. So it's like, again, it's a self-inflicted issue here. You know, you just got to pound his own little bit, work down, maybe roll up a ground ball, maybe get under a barrel with a slider. We have trouble throwing strikes. Base is loaded, then Aoki doubles to center field. They call it a double because Jess Davis didn't touch it. It is a routine fly ball to center, and it's right at dusk. And as Ron Polk has said, for those of you listening to the radio, Dirty Noble is a tough place to play at dusk. We really need it to get dark or to stay light. And so I thought Davis's body language right out of the gate was bad. It's like he runs up there and he looks confused. And next thing you know, the ball is over his head, and all three runs score. Aoki cruises into second with a double. So, again, even though Jack Walker's had some up and down in this inning, we locate that baseball, we make a play, it's 3-1 Bulldogs heading to the bottom of two. But instead, we have this issue, and and you know, said, well, you know, Steve, it's baseball. You know, it is, it is. But I got a young pitcher out there that's struggling with confidence and he gets the routine flat ball to get out of the inning and we can't make the play. And Jess Davis will tell you, got to make the play. It wasn't like it was necessarily a physical or a mental error. It's just one of those things that happens at times. It's unfortunate. But unfortunately, Jack Walker's a guy that gets tagged with that. And it's bigger than the box score, right? It's bigger than that. It's like the guy does his job, and I guess that's the lesson Scott Foxhall will kind of ram home to him. is like, hey, you did what you were supposed to do. The defense just kind of let you down. Well, rather than quit, he battles back and gets a case winging. And so, basically, he strikes out the side in the inning and then gives up three runs. And, again, not necessarily say that's fair to him, but, again, that's the game. It's a team game. You can do your job, but your, your teammate cannot and the team suffers so now it's a 4-3 game Bingington has the lead I didn't feel bad at this point because I said it sooner or later we're going to get to these guys but you don't want to gift anybody runs because in this inning we gave them runners and then we gave them runs so that's all self-inflicted bottom of second Mississippi State comes up RJ Yeager strikes out swinging big at bat there actually got down 0-2, worked it full, fouled off a payoff pitch, and then strikes out swinging. Uh, Lag comes up. He, too, gets down 0-2, doesn't chase the waste pitch, strikes out swinging. Jess Davis is in hit by the pitch to put him on base for the second consecutive at bat. He breaks for second. They throw him out. And, and as you guys heard me talk on Monday's show, they are not especially proficient at uh, throwing out runners. But they get Jess. But I like our thought process. Let's get him on, put pressure on the defense. Put pressure on the pitcher. Everybody is a different pitcher in a stretch. And then when you factor in the still and base probability, you know, you can become a real irritant out there. And all of a sudden, you know, people are kind of short-arming pitches a little bit, you know, making things a little more difficult on the catcher. You can't really spike the breaking ball because they're going to gift you the the runner, right? I mean, so... Everything helps when you've got a guy like Jess Davis on base. Everything. Everybody defensively is affected. Everybody. Well, we, we don't score. So top of third, we bring in Brandon Smith uh, in place of Walker. Now, I'm a Brandon Smith fan. He has had some up and down this year. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he gave up his tanks at that at Biloxi. Yeah, you know, listen, that game was over. And you wanted him to pound his own. But, you know, Brandon's a guy that ordinarily gets a lot of good sink. He can throw that sinker. Did a good job in this game, I thought. Um, And and we're going to need Brandon Smith to be big for us. In order to get to where we want to go, we're going to have to have the best year of Brandon Smith's college career. Guy's very, very talented. We expected him to be a weekend guy. And, of course, he has Tommy John surgery last year, proved to be a pretty good reliever for us. But uh, it's been up and down a little bit this year. All right, so Brandon comes in. We get a ground ball uh, to second on a two-strike pitch there. Again, that's what you want. Guy comes out of the bullpen throwing strikes, gets a ground ball. We give up a double down the line. There's a fly out to left, and then we get Mason K looking. So pretty good sequence there for Brandon. You do give up the double, uh, but it doesn't come back to bite you. You get the guy in running scoring position, and uh, you're able to hold him at bay. So good first inning of work for Brandon. Our bottom of third again. State gets an opportunity here to make some things happen. Cam James leads off with a double down the right field line. It wasn't fair by much. I talked to him post game. I actually thought it was foul. Replay was not good. He says it was in by about a foot. I don't know. I don't know. I think I want Cam James counting my money if uh, if he thought that was a foot. <laughs> if he thought that was a foot. It may have been in a couple of inches, but. Uh, Either way, it's a double down the right field line. And so that's one of the things, too, when I think about the makeup of Cam James' game. When Cam is taking the ball the other way with authority, Cam is, Cam is beginning to get it figured out. You know, Cam's a guy, too, that can work the middle of the field. He's not a Deadpool hitter, even though most of his power is to left. But he centered one out there to uh, right center Sunday took the ball the other way, and hit it with some authority. This one was even bigger. That tells me Cam's seeing the baseball pretty well. I won't be the least bit surprised if we have a big weekend from Cam James this weekend. I won't be. I think he's starting to kind of figure it out. And listen, Cam is the guy that's got to get it right for us, right? We talk about the big three, you know, Hancock, KJ, and uh, LT. You know, those. if we're going to get to the Super Regional or beyond – it's going to be because those three guys have carried a lot of the load. Again, I think Cam has kind of figured some things out. Speaking of Luke Hancock, not in the leadoff spot, back in a three-hole. I kind of like him there, even though he did a good job in the leadoff spot, um, at least getting on base and coming around. You know, Luke is a guy, too, that's not going to strike out a whole lot. And when you have speed ahead of him, like, you know, Jess Davis and Cam James, when he does put one in the gap, there's a good chance you're going to score a run or multiple runs. In this situation, here he walks. Again, first pitch fastball, we work the count full, we walk. LT then pops up to second. I thought he tried to do a little too much there. It's a 2-0 count. You know he's getting a fastball, and he gets under it. Big situation for him there. He didn't come through, and that's going to have to happen. And and listen, nobody's going to bat 1,000 with runners in scoring position. If they were, they'd already be in the big leagues. But this is in the bat, too, that kind of came back to haunt us a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, it's a non-productive out. From your cleanup hitter, and you have got two guys on. Then there is the fly out to center field. Hunter Hines uh, rips a fly ball out there, and that's the thing. You go back to the LT at bat. If LT has a productive at bat, even if it's not a base hit, you know, if, if he elevates the ball to the outfield, and all of a sudden Cam goes to third. Well, then guess what happens? Then when Hunter Hines elevates that ball to center, it's a tie ball game. So we can't have non-productive outs. And I know it's part of the game, but when you know, when, when you've got your marquee players up there, they've got to find a way to move runners around. And then Callum Clark. I thought this ball was foul. We didn't get a good replay in the booth. He he fouls it down, and then it ends up in fair territory. And I thought it was foul right out of the gate. Uh, but I mean obviously the umpire saw it differently, and they throw him out. So again, you know, one of your hottest hitters comes up and just kind of a, you know, difficult circumstance there, and the inning is over. So we have our first two guys reach base, and then we don't do anything with it. That's got to change. Top of four, good ending for Brandon Smith. You get a K looking, a ground out to third, a ground out to third. And, again, we talk about when Cam James is on it, he's doing well pushing the ball to right field. When Brandon Smith is on his game, that guy's rolling up ground balls. Good indication here. Again, you don't have a huge sample size right now. And Brandon Smith, I think, is a guy too. You know, when the chips are down, the guy, I know he's going to compete. And it looks like he had his good stuff on Monday. All right, bottom four, State finally ties the game up. And it really felt like, you look up and like, oh, it's the fourth inning. But it felt like we had played for an eternity. All right, Kumbis strikes out looking. And I'm not going to sit here and, and belabor the point here with Brad. I think Brad's going to be okay. You know, Brad's a guy too. If I can get a couple of hits a game out of Brad, I feel like it's, it's really in many respects a bonus. Um, but a great at-bat here for Kumbis, for it doesn't end well for us. But he really gets up there in battles. And I think he also allowed R.J. Yeager to see a lot of pitches. Because sometimes, you know, we talk about it being a team game. Even though we don't put the ball in play here, we drove up the pitch count a little bit, but also, too, you had a pretty good idea what this guy was working with. It's a foul ball. It's a a called strikes. And all of a sudden, it's an 0-2 count. Ball one, ball two to even it up. We foul it off. Then it's a full count. We foul off two payoff pitches, and they finally get him looking. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a fastball down the middle. He had thrown back-to-back changeups, and Brad was able to kind of fight him off, just stay back just enough to extend the at-bat. So while it goes down in the books as a K, I thought it was a really good at-bat for Brad. And I think, again, R.J. sitting over there in the, uh, on deck circle watching all this happen. He gets up 2-0, and then we foul one off. We foul one off. And then all of a sudden, it's just like it was with Combust, and we get into a two-strike count. We throw in the changeup, and we foul it off and foul it off. Well, finally, R.J. times him up. And I, I turned to Mike Nemeth, and I said, does he throw him a third consecutive changeup? Well, he did, and R.J. parks it for his first home run in a Mississippi State uniform. Now it's a tie ball game. And if they, at this point, you felt like, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and take off and go. Well, it took us a while. Uh, leg follows up with a fly out to left. Jess Davis then doubles down the right field line on 2-0 counts. And all of a sudden, again, it's three consecutive plate appearances for Jeff Davis. And he ends up on base and now in scoring position again. Time for the two-out hit, right? Well, there is one. Cam James Singles. And then Davis goes to third. Extra bases, obviously, scores a guy like Jess Davis from second. Uh, Didn't work out. But we extend the inning, and we get it around to Luke. Luke, again, a 2-0 count here, and we fly out to left. You know, Luke is a line drive hitter. Occasionally, he'll hit a home run. But when Luke is on his game, he's hitting line drives. Not quite there yet. Still making contact, just not quite there yet. When Luke starts rifling line drives from gap to gap, yeah, you know, all the horses will be pulling. And again, there's a little bit right now. Where, you know, we're goodness. I mean, you know, it's it's non-conference play basically is over with a few midweek games remaining. You know, it's time for us to turn it on. But again, you get two runners on, two outs. We can't get you know the big hit here. A top of five, we bring in Lane Forsyth. Yes, Lane Forsyth. When he starts trotting out there, I, I thought. Surely not. But yes, Lane Forsyth, and as Chris Simonis explained in postgame, he was a guy that was recruited by many schools as a pitcher. We had so much depth last year we didn't need to use him. So the very first pitch from Lane Forsythe is a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, looks a little bit up in his own. I was impressed. He came back with another fastball, and Naoki hammered this baseball over the left field wall. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what are we doing and then we get a line out to center field, a ground ball to third. And I thought this last at bat of the inning against Tan was outstanding. Fastball, breaking ball, change up, end of A B. Lane might be able to help us a little bit in middle relief. And we listen, we need all hands on deck. I mean, you remember in 17, we had to have, you know, we had to have three different position players pitch for us, including Jake Mangum, who became the Sunday starter for a while. Bottom of five. LT walks, another good at bat, kind of grinds it out here, gets down in the count, one, two, grinds it out. Leadoff runner on. So we're down a run with a leadoff runner on with five, six, and seven coming up. And these are some guys that have some real power for us. Your two top home run hitters and Hunter Hines and Kellum Clark coming up. And here we go, non productive at bats again. You can have one in an inning. You can't have three, and we had three. Heinz strikes out swinging. Clark strikes out swinging. Cumbus strikes out swinging. We don't even put the ball in play. We get a runner to first to open the inning, and we don't even put a ball in play. That's got to get, get better. And these guys, listen, these guys have had some big moments for us. All three of these guys got a lot of power. I think what uh, Hines and Clark have five dingers apiece. Cumbus has four. Not saying I need a home run here, but I need somebody to. You push the ball in a gap somewhere. LT's already shown did can score from first, right? I can promise you 19 don't want to score from first very often. Uh, that being said, we got to do a better job putting the ball in play. Just can't happen here. Can't happen here. And of those at bats, too, what's crazy, too, only two foul balls between the three hitters. All right, so Cam Teller comes in in the top of six for Foresight. We immediately give up a infield single to DeVitria, who had a good ball game against us. Mason and singles to the right side, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. Your Cam had a good outing against Texas Tech, and you think maybe he's back on track. And then, you know, over the weekend, kind of up and down a little bit. So they pinch run here, bring in a couple guys, and uh, Cam battles back. We get a case swinging on three pitches. He gets a nine-hole hitter, Corey. He's out. We bring in Drew Talley. I've said on this show recently, I think Drew Talley is going to be a big part of the answer for us in the bullpen. He proved that on Monday night. Talley comes in with two guys on and one down. He gets a fly out to right field. The runners hold. And then he gets Evans to strike out looking on three pitches. So the inning is over. And one thing's for sure you can tell with Drew Talley. The guy is going to compete. He's going to go out there and pound his own. He's going to make you hit his pitch but he's not going to get up there and nibble. And as a reliever, that's how life has to be. All right, bottom of six. State ties it up again. A lot of defensive changes here. R.J. strikes out swinging on three pitches, and he swung it all three of them. Fouled the first two off, and then K swinging. Leggett then grounds out the short. Jess Davis walks. Again, he's on base. For the fourth consecutive time, he's on base. Kim Jane singles up the middle, chases Davis to third hancock walks to load the bases and then lt is walked so here we are again bases loaded need the big hit here we've tied the game up but the bases are loaded they have gifted us a couple of runners here let's make some things happen hans grounds out the short after a, you know a, a full counted bat but you, you know you have a chance to break the game open here and again the burden on all this rests on the entire nine you know it's not one or two guys you would say what's our big three's got to come through. We know Hunter Hines has proven he's a pretty big ball player for us, too. And I can promise you he wants to get that ball out of the infield, too. The pain train was coming. It just hadn't arrived yet. You could hear it coming down the tracks. We let him off the hook there. Tied the game up. We let him off the hook there. All right, so uh, so, so Tally comes back out for the top of seven. K swinging, K looking. We hit a guy on a full count. But we don't, you know, we we kind of live the tell the tale. We don't pay for that. You get a strikeout swinging, and so you strike out the side around a hit by pitch, and and, and Tully to me looked a little bit overmatched in the at bat. We got down three zero, but then he was able to kind of throw some balls in there that I I thought I, I thought even the foul ball there was uh, I thought Drew had kind of overmatched him a little bit there. But again, Tally, great job here. Strikes out the side. Need to see more of him. Uh, bottom of seven, we have a chance again to take the lead here. And this is when people at Duty Noble were getting a little bit restless. Clark flies out to left on the first pitch. Siebert grounds out to the pitcher. And then Jaeger walks and Leggett strikes out swing. And here's the thing that I go back to here. You know, we talk about good fundamental baseball. Okay, so Henderson is pitching for, for Collins here. In the previous inning, he walked three hitters. And then we come out and swing at the first pitch, our first two at bats of the next inning. It's like that—that that kind of situational awareness. When you have a guy that struggled the inning before to first strikes, why am I going to come back out there and look to ambush the first pitch I see? I, you know, maybe they got exactly what they wanted, but we end up getting a fly out and a ground out. I just think that you know, let, let's work the count a little bit. It's a tie ball game. It's not like when the game is extended. We just need to get somebody on and get them around. And you've had a guy that basically tried to walk the ballpark the previous inning, and we're ambushing the first pitch. I, I just, I, I would probably tell my guys to go up there. Hey, we're taking it. We get a strike. And lo and behold, the one guy that doesn't swing at the first pitch, R.J. Yeager walks. And then uh, Lag strikes out swinging to end the inning. So I just kind of felt like this was a bit of a lost opportunity here against a pitcher that was somewhat struggling. Top of eight, we make a change here, and uh, you know we, we had pinch hit for, for compass with uh, Von Siebert. So Skinner goes to center, and Brooks Auger comes in to pitch for Drew Talley, who, again, was really good. Auger comes in, and I thought threw the baseball really harder than he has all year. He is a guy that has a nice breaking pitch and can change up on you a little bit. I thought his fastball had more life Monday night than we've seen all year. So we get a ground out the first. Then we get a strikeout swinging and a strikeout swinging. And he is just blowing the fastball by these folks. Now, he's throwing other pitches for strikes, but he's stepping up there, you know, 94, 95, and just kind of throwing it by people. That's good to see. Eventually, credited with the win because in the bottom half of the inning, we absolutely blow this thing away. And again, it starts with Jess Davis, and what's crazy to think about, they finally get him out. It's like if you had told me we were going to put up, you know, eight runs in the inning and Jess Davis is going to lead it off, I'm thinking, well, he, he set the table. Nope, he pops up the third on an 0 2 count. The only time in the game he didn't reach base. Cam James then walks and still second. Hancock walks. Hancock's still second because we had Cam is still third there on the, on the walk there. And that was huge. It's huge because it puts the lead run right in position to score with less than two outs. And that's on the walk. That's on ball four. Cam's taking third. Good situational awareness by a veteran base runner there. So now there's runners at first and third. They bring the infield in. And you got Logan Tanner up there and you're beginning to think, okay, I hope you have good dental insurance because if he hits a hard ground ball or a line drive at somebody, uh, it could be trouble. Hancock takes second, which removes the possibility of double play. And I agree with Chris Limones. Probably took the best pitch of the bat to protect the runner there. They have basically next to no chance to throw him out there. With the infield drawn in, you know, they're not holding the runner so he can get a bigger lead, and it's just—it's almost next to impossible when you're playing as far in as they were to make the play. Not to mention you throw it down there, Cam's just going to steal home. It's kind of the, uh, the U-trip play, right? Didn't need any magic. We talked earlier about LT. He came up in a big situation with a 2-0 count and ended up popping up. This time he doesn't. He gets the big hit. When the game is on the line, LT comes through. Singles to the left side. Both run Score. It's 7-5, to five and I think we think, okay, this thing is over. This is over. Well, then Hunter Hines steps up a pitch later. They bring in uh, Rothbaum, and the very first pitch that he throws, Hunter Hines lasers over the right field wall. Now it's a 9-5 ball game. They hit Kellum with the pitch and then balk him to second. Thank you very much. Skinner has walked on four pitches, and that's it for Rothbaum. They bring in Siniki. Who was the submariner, you know, throwing breaking ball and change up stuff like in the 60s? I think he was like 81, 82 on the fastball. Very first pitch he throws, RJ Yeager sends deep into the Starkville night to make it a 12 to 5 ball game. As I wrote yesterday, two rounds of Jaeger for those in the left field lounge. And then Tanner Laggett steps up two pitches later and hits another tank. It is now 13 to 5. Davis comes up for the second time in the inning, and they plunk him. Interesting. Two guys plunked in the inning, both after home runs. It's like when you're down 13-5, it's not like we're showboating. You just can't make pitches. They bring in Dorado to pitch for Sinecki. He gets out of it. Cam James lines out to right, and Luke pops up to short. It's 13-5. We bring in Jackson Fristow, and Jackson has had his moments this year. He's been inconsistent, too, at times. I thought his fastball had some life, too. You know, maybe it's because of the fact you look up and say, I didn't, we just need you to get three outs for us. Let's go out here and make some things happen. They pinch hit. Lo and behold, we walked the first hitter. But I thought the fastball showed some real juice. For the first time this year, I, you know, I look at Fristo sometimes, it looks like he's four or five miles per hour down from what I remember him being a year ago. He looked more like himself in the ninth inning here. I think he so like he's letting it go. Speaking of letting it go, I apologize there. I got some people here doing some work at the house today, and, and uh, my dogs don't, uh, don't like strangers. So, so there you go. They're letting me know that somebody's here. But anyway, back to Fristo, I really thought the fastball had more life than it's shown this season. And so maybe that's a good thing. I think it is. We got a fly out to right. Of course, it's a, it's a chorus of um, pinch hitters here in the night. Then there is the strikeout swinging. And then there is a single to right field. And good for Roselli, the kid. Hey, good for him. Got a chance to hit a duty noble field, got a hit. Didn't matter. And then uh, Tully strikes out swinging. So, yeah, we had some issues here with control a little bit. But I thought the life of the fastball, that's the, that's the headliner for me. That is the, the Fristo performance. You can say, well, you know, Steve, it's a 13-5 ball game. And that's true. But I think he showed something that he hadn't shown on the mound so far this season. And uh, maybe that's big for us because, you know, listen, we're going to need him. I think we've got the weekend kind of rotation showing up. I think we feel like we're pretty good there. Now it's a matter of finding some guys that can get the job done for us on the back end. Maybe that's Fristo, Maybe he's a middle reliever. Maybe he's a back end guy. Who knows? But we're going to need him. Got to find a role for that guy on this team for sure. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, guys. Boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Takovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by Close with Blair.com. Blair Chandler, longtime friend of mine, friend of yours. Friend in the industry. What industry is that, Steve? It's the mortgage industry. It's a complicated process at times buying or refinancing a home. It's good to have somebody with experience and know-how to kind of get you to the closing table. That's the thing about Blair. 21 years in the industry. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Not just for his little operation, for everybody. Top 1%. Fairway Mortgage, that's the uh, company that Blair works with. One of the top mortgage lending institutions in the world. Second in value and loan value last year. So you got the best guy from the best company doing the best job for the best people. That's you, Mississippi State. Folks, here's the deal. If you mention to Blair, visit him at closeofblair.com. But maybe if you're thinking, you know, I'm still not going to remember that, you can always DM me. I'm happy to give you the information. But let me, while I'm giving you info, let me give you his cell number, his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344 let him know you heard about him on the boneyard and he will pay for your appraisal and if you've ever had an appraisal done on your home you know what a value that is 500 bucks he'll pay for it one less thing to worry about again that's closed with blair.com be sure and check him out today okay so it is time for today's top 10 list roy had the idea and of course aerosmith got him thinking about, this, about bands and or artists that kind of got a second bite at the apple like they had a career and maybe went away and came back and had two shots at stardom and there have been a lot of those folks for different circumstances a few honorable mentions here uh meatloaf is one you know meatloaf of course had some success in the 70s came back you know late 80s with uh, i would do anything for love but i won't do that yeah, huge hit the biggest hit of his career uh, Motley Crew, in some respects, even though I'm one of those that it's tough for me to believe they ever went away, but they did. They went away and they came back and reunited and had some really, 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 really filler type albums with Generation Swine and New Tattoo. Um, but Saints of Los Angeles was, I thought, a, a nice return uh, for Motley Crue. Uh, the band, yes, remember them. Your Roundabout was really huge. They disbanded for a while. They came back and Owner of a Lonely Heart was a huge hit for them. In some ways, I would say Van Halen. Even if Van Halen's one of the greatest bands of all time, regardless of country of origin, Van Halen is an institution. They went away, came back. Had a bit of a stretch there with uh, Gary Cherone from Extreme as a lead singer. Even though I, I like some of that stuff, it's not true, Van Halen. Of course, they come back and um, make some cool things happen. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're beyond that now, sadly. Simon and Garfunkel, believe it or not, those guys actually disbanded. And uh, I want to say Art Garfunkel went back to school. And the next thing you know, they're featured in The Graduate. And the rest is rock and roll history. Roy Orbison, another that had some huge hits early in his career and came back in the late 80s and, uh, you know, joined the Traveling Wilburys. It's like somebody said he was playing flea markets. So the next thing you know, he's on the road playing arenas again. Pretty cool stuff. But here's your top ten. Number ten... We're going Cher, and Cher was a huge, huge artist. You know, Sonny and Cher, you know, when we, were, when we were kids, Sonny and Cher is like, it gave hope to all of us that were somewhat average looking, right? Because if Sonny Bono could uh, could marry a beautiful woman like Cher, we're thinking, oh, hey, I can do that too. Maybe I should learn to sing. Maybe I should learn to dance and be funny. But uh, Cher, an incredibly talented actress and singer in her own right, so many great songs over the years Uh, yeah i remember you know the gypsies tramps and thieves stuff that was all that stuff was great she went on her own and then came back in the late 80s and uh, a lot of people know that the video you know if i could turn back time it's a great song i did not go in that direction i went with jesse james just like jesse james it's your number 10 song today for share number nine a band that i loved as a kid and i loved as a young adult a band that i today. Not not a lot of new music these days from these guys, but it's Duran Duran. The comeback album was called the Wedding Album, and it, on the cover it had uh, pictures of all of the the band members' parents' bridal pictures or wedding pictures. And the song "Ordinary World," and this is uh, this song is very very special to me, as you've heard me talk about on the show before. It was around the time that I was kind of rediscovering life and uh, was living there at 215 North 34th Avenue there in Hattiesburg. That, that house no longer exists. The university has uh, made all those old neighborhoods parking lots now. But I, I lived there. I had a great time. It's kind of where I put my foot in the ground and made my stand in life. And when this song came out, Ordinary World came out, the very first time that I heard it, It something stirred inside of me. And there's just so many things that is uh, you know, very, I guess you could say, sentimental to me because of this because that's all i wanted to do is let me just find this ordinary world and live an ordinary life and just be a regular guy and not be the guy that's got uh you know cops come to the house all the time and so i did so that song means a lot to me and so a tip of the cap to the boys in duran duran for their comeback number eight one of the greatest comebacks in the history of music i've got them behind some other bands because i don't like them quite as much but i have seen the documentary. How do you mend a broken heart? About the BG's, probably a dozen times. I really enjoy it. I do. I think it's great. The BG's were actually, you know, a bit of a pop rock band in the late 60s. And then all of a sudden, you know, they discovered their falsetto and disco became a thing. The BG's were huge. I mean, people act like they were a punchline to a joke. Guys extremely talented. Well, then they couldn't do anything. I mean, these guys couldn't even book Knott's Berry Farm, and and Knott's Berry Farm was free to get in. And so they elected to just go write songs for people, and just had a tremendous career as songwriters. And then in the late '80s, they came back, released a reunion album. And so we're going to go with "You Win Again," great song. And yeah, I just think about all these, you know, Robin and Barry Gibb, just absolute geniuses. It's a real tragedy. Uh, no pun intended, but the BGs had a great comeback, and uh, in many respects, I think are are finally getting their due from a new g- generation. Number seven, one of the greatest comeback stories in the history of not just music but in life. It's Tina Turner. Had a great career with Ike Turner, of course. Uh, you know, the victim of domestic violence. She goes on her own, becomes this incredible powerhouse as a solo artist. Amazing vocal range. Amazing. She always had it, and I think there were a lot of people, too, that once she came back to the scene and really the record company put some money behind her, people realized that she's one of the greatest of all time. It's Tina Turner. So we're going to go with the old classic, What's Love Got to Do With It? That's your number seven song. Number six, and you can say, well, Steve, you put this band ahead of Tina Turner. I did, and I will fight you over it. It's Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath actually had a couple of different comebacks after Ozzy left. They ended up getting Ronnie James Dio to join them from uh, Rainbow. We've talked about that before. We had the song "The Mob Rules" on the show. They finally reunite. Bill Ward's not on the drums, but you got Geezer Butler and Tommy Ami and then Ozzy together. They record the album 13, which had some really cool stuff on it, and it's true to who Black Sabbath is. Black Sabbath really the Godfathers of heavy metal. And so this is heavy, it's tuned down, it's ominous, and it's End of the Beginning. That's your song, End of the Beginning from Black Sabbath, off their final album, 13. That's number six. Number five, you can say, well, Steve, how could you put Alice in Chains ahead of Black Sabbath? Well, to be honest with you, I like more of the Alice in Chains catalog. And I miss Lane Staley. I have some Lane Staley shirts that I bought uh, from the Lane Staley Foundation. That they, uh, And I encourage you to do that, too. If you're looking for some cool band merch, go to the Lane Staley Foundation. I think that's the actual name of it. And the, the money they use is to fund treatment centers in the Pacific Northwest. How about that? There are some treatment centers out there that you know, kind of specialize in heroin and methadone clinics and stuff like that. And so you buy a shirt, you buy a Lane Staley shirt, and then the proceeds go to help fund treatment centers in the Pacific Northwest. I have three of them. And uh, would buy more. Uh, just one of those things, too, I guess, because Lane Staley meant an awful lot to me and his music to this day in some ways kind of makes me sad. When I listen to it, I, I can see how he and Jerry Cantrell were really struggling. And as a person on this side you know, of recovery, it makes me kind of sad, especially the way Lane's life ended. Uh, but they did come back and uh, with Howard as the new singer. And uh, I love the song Check My Brain. They've had, I guess, three albums out now since they reunited. And beginning to kind of get some, you know, some huge dates and play in front of a lot of people. Number four, we'd had this band on Monday. It's Aerosmith. And, you know, the comeback album was done with mirrors They kind of panned. And then they put some money behind them with Geffen. And next thing you know, Aerosmith became a big thing again. You know, really the comeback for them, of course, was they did the Walk This Way video with, with Randy MC, which was like kind of the forerunner for, for a lot of things in music. It was, that was one of those epic-type collaborations that really changed the direction of not just rap music, but popular music and rock music. Incredible. But I went with Off the Permanent Vacation album. We did do Looks Like a Lady earlier this week. We're going to go Ragdoll, which I think is an underappreciated Aerosmith track. Number three, another band that had some huge success in the 70s and kind of went away for a few years and then came back, it's Heart. I love heart. I think, uh, and Nancy Wilson are just absolutely incredible. I think they are two of the, they're a powerhouse. I don't care who you put around them. I I think Nancy Wilson, especially as a songwriter and as a guitarist, uh, will kind of carry the show, but, uh, and an incredible singer too. And so in 85, they released the album heart, which was their comeback album. A lot of people would go with the more popular tracks. I'm going a deeper track that I actually got some radio play. It's nothing at all off of Heart. That's your number three song. Heart's heart, nothing at all. Number two, one of the great stories in recent memory when it comes to rock superstars, and uh, we've talked about this a little bit on the show before, but uh, Santana played Woodstock. Santana was already an established artist at the time. They're packing out arenas all over the world. And the next thing you know, Carlos Santana is playing like the best Western on a Tuesday night, you know, in, in Paducah, Kentucky. It's like all of a sudden, the record company kind of dried up on him. Carlos was still making great music. Nobody heard it, though. And Clive Davis goes out and gets Santana and says, hey, what if we put the classic Santana sound with some modern day pop stars, singing those songs, how would that be? Well, it became Supernatural, became one of the best-selling albums of all time. And the song that made it happen, the song that really got it going, we had this guy's band on the show last week. It's Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. Smooth. What a great song that is. I thought Rob Thomas had some of his best vocal work. But I think it just absolutely worked perfectly. Everybody liked that song. It was everywhere. was number one, the greatest comeback kids of all time. It's got to be the Pet Shop Boys. No, it's not the Pet Shop Boys, and it's not the Backstreet Boys. It's not any of those. It's the boys from Australia. With Brian Johnson singing lead, it's ACDC. Get your fist in the air. ACDC, when Bon Scott died, a lot of people said, well, this is it. They'll never, ever, ever recapture the magic they go ahead and get brian johnson from jolly old england and they record one of the greatest albums of all time back in black and a lot of people that didn't even know who acdc was got that album one of the defining moments in rock history was the release of back in black every song on the album sounds like a single I think Brian Johnson really kind of brought out the better and the Young Brothers, and that is in no way disrespect to Bon Scott. I love the Bon Scott era, too. But it's not like two bands, even though we change singers here. It's just kind of like, okay, the Bon Scott stuff thing was incredible. This is incredible, too. But it's still true to the the original ACDC sound. Angus Young, of course, the driving force behind the band. But we got to go with the classic, You Shook Me All Night Long. Love the track. Love the video. Uh, love ACDC. I wear my ACDC shirts with pride. You should too. So there you go. The comeback kids. And I may have missed somebody. You know what? And if I did, I don't mind if you let me know. That's okay. This is my list. I love these artists. I love the fact that uh, there are people, especially in this day and time, your record companies are so greedy. You know, it's they're always looking for the big single. Nobody's committed to an artist anymore. And so when you see bands come back and have some success, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think about the Motley stuff, too. We, we put them in the uh, honorable mentions. But when The Dirt came out on Netflix, all of a sudden a new generation of people are like, oh, dude, Motley Crue. I'd always heard about these guys. Now I know the stories. And I do think The Dirt could have been about an hour longer. I thought they kind of uh, ran through some things that probably needed a little more development. But I was glad to see Crue get their due – Looking forward to seeing them at the uh, stadium show out in Atlanta soon. Hadn't seen Motley in a long time. I'm jonesing. So there you go. Your top ten list brought to you by clotheswithblair.com. I forgot to do it earlier. Let's do it now. The prime shrimp player of the game is Jess Davis, transfer from University of Alabama, Birmingham. And we When we signed him, we thought, hey, this is our – our answer in center field. He hadn't proven to be that yet, but he may. Let's take a quick look at what Jess had to do on Monday night. Pretty good by him. I mean, the drop ball was standing. He goes one for two. Two runs scored, two walks. Was he on base uh, four out of five times? The one time was a pop-up. The reality of it is Jess Davis is a guy that, was kind of a catalyst for the offense. And then Cam James right behind him goes three for five. Also reaches base with a walk, too. So good effort by the top two guys. Luke Hancock, 0 for 3, but gets uh, three walks in the game. But Jess Davis, I really thought, had the game we needed him to have in order for us uh, to break this game open. So Jess Davis out there doing good things for Mississippi State. Visit Prime Shrimp at primeshrimp.com. A New Orleans based company that brings you delicious shrimp, easy to cook, right to your door. Get delivered straight to your door. It's well packaged. Go to primeshrimp.com. They've been peeling shrimp in New Orleans since the 1940s. Proud to debut an exciting new product with Louisiana Crab Bowl. You can serve restaurant quality shrimp at home in under 10 minutes with none of the usual fuss of cooking. Simply take a pouch of their pre seasoned shrimp, drop it in a pot of boiling water, and you got a meal ready in a few minutes without all the prep and cleanup. No peeling, no de-veining. It's ready to go. Order at PrimeShrimp.com, get it delivered straight to your door. Use promo code Boneyard to save a few bucks. Try it today with a risk-free purchase. If you don't love it, you get your money back. I'm kind of partial, to be honest with you, to French Quarter Alfredo. Use some balsam noodles while you're boiling your other water. Drop in that pouch, drain it, boom, You've got French Quarter Alfredo directly on your for, on your table without a lot of trouble. More coming soon. Always a money back guarantee. All, orders over four pounds shrimp 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 ah ship for free. Your shrimp ship for free. Say that five times fast again. That's PrimeShrimp.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by our friends at CampusBookMart.net, longtime sponsors of the show. I love Campus BookMart. You will too. A lot of folks say, Steve, I'm kind of unfamiliar with them on the backside of campus over there. Go by and see them on game day. Go by and see Standing Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. You'll be glad you did. Wonderful people doing a great job for a wonderful fan base. If you can't make it to town, maybe perhaps you live in a foreign land. I don't know, somewhere like Louisiana or Tennessee. You can order direct from them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for beautiful steve robertson that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks any order less than 50 dollars, absolutely incomplete all right you should be aware of mississippi state in first round nit action tonight against the university of virginia let's take a few moments and look at virginia this is a team that's very similar to mississippi state really one game differential in the records here they were 12 and 8 in the acc so they, their, their quality of wins is a little bit higher than Mississippi State. But let's look at the schedule. They open up losing at home to Navy, kind of a harbinger of things to come. They blast Radford by 21 in game two. They lose at Houston, 67-47. And Houston's been a solid program, say the least. They beat Coppin State by 16 to go 2-2. Two and two. They win against Georgia. And at the time, we people thought, hey, well, maybe this is going to be okay. Little did we know that Georgia was going to put together one of the worst seasons in the history of the Southeastern Conference. They come back to beat Providence pretty well, 58 40. They get by Lehigh, 61 43. They lose by one at home to Iowa in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Bounce back with a win over Pitt. They lose at James Madison, 52 49. They beat Fairley Dickinson. Fairly handily, 82-49. They lose to Clemson by three in Charlottesville. They go to Syracuse and win there, 74-69. They lose, excuse me. They go back to Clemson and they beat them by ten. So they split. It's interesting that the home team loses on their home floor. They get drilled in Chapel Hill by UNC, 74-58. They get by Virginia Tech by two at home. They lose to Wake Forest, also in Charlottesville, by eight. They win at Pitt by five. Lose at NC State, 77-63. They beat Louisville, the Cardinals, 64-52. They go to Notre Dame and lose by four. Lose by 12 at home to Boston College. They take down Miami, 71-56. Still don't understand why Miami's not better at basketball. They win at Duke. At Durham, 69-68 at Cameron Indoor. That's a big win. Biggest of the year for them. Georgia Tech, they get by those guys by 10 and then promptly go to Virginia Tech and lose on the road there in Blacksburg. They go to Miami and win there by three. They nearly pull off the sweep against Duke. They only lose by four at home to Duke, but they do. They kind of dictated terms as far as quality and style of play there kind of grind these games out, similar to kind of how we play at Mississippi State. They didn't lose to Florida State, 64-63, and then at Louisville, they win by 10. They get Louisville again, third time's a charm, right? Wrong. They beat them by one there in Brooklyn in the ACC tournament, and they lose by 20 to North Carolina. So when you look at the quality of their play, they were competitive in nearly every game. UNC kind of had, um, kind of had their number. Uh, you know, but by and large, a pretty good job especially in conference play uh, being competitive much like mississippi state it's like you know we're always so close except we didn't have the breakthrough win really the difference in the schedule they get the big win at duke we struggle to get those kinds of wins so it will be a 6 p.m tip tonight on espn2 be sure and check the game out let's look inside the numbers here at uva again this is a team that plays a similar style of basketball. This could be a game in the 50s. I mean, honestly, it could be. The way we put her in the half-court offense and the way they do could be awfully interesting. Averaging 62.6 points a game, their opponent's averaging just 60.2. It really feels like a game in the 50s, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, Field goal percentage-wise, shooting it pretty well at 45%, allowing 42 from the field. Three-point attempts, 32 percent opponents are shooting better against them that's not really our game could be big though a team that uh, finds a way to make some t- some three-pointers could win the game uh, they're averaging five a game and allowing just under seven so again a team that's not going to really burn you from the perimeter so maybe that's an advantage for mississippi state a team that doesn't really live and die by a three-pointer they will get at you get after you on the glass. There's no doubt about it. But it's pretty much been an even deal. They've pulled down 31.5 boards a game, allow 31.4. Assist, they're dishing out 14 a game, allowing 11.6. Assist, the turnover ratio 1.4, allowing 1.1. So again, this is this is a quality team, but a team too that Mississippi State's capable of beating. 5.8 steals per game, opponents pulling 5.7. 4.5 blocks a game, 3.7 for the opponents, and so you look at the numbers. You know, it's this is a, you can see why they're in the NIT and not the Big Dance here. All right, Reese Bigman, that's the straw the straw that stirs the drink, uh, leading them in most statistical categories. Has made uh, 21 three pointers on the year, a uh, guy shooting 43. percent you know, doing a good job in just about every aspect here. When you look at the numbers here, you know, this is a guy that gets on the glass, not a huge rebounder, but a guy that's very athletic and kind of makes some things happen. Uh, has started all 32 games for them, that should not be a big surprise. Uh, has a 7.94 points per game. Leading scorer for them is Jaden Gardner, 32 games started for him as well, averaging 15.3 points a game. Armin Franklin, 10.94 points a game. And Cahill Clark, ten point two five. You know, three guys in double digit scoring there, but uh, they are a team that can score from all five spots on the floor. Very well rounded team, uh, to say the least. Leader rebounder for them is also Jaden Gardner, pulled down two hundred and twelve rebounds, averaging just under seven boards per game. We got to get out and play. Simple as that. So this is one that I think is essentially a coin flip. When you look at the numbers for them at home, they have been a very, very good home team. 10 and six at home, six and six away, three and one on the neutral floor, of course, Mississippi State, just one win on the road. So I wouldn't say they're a great home team. 10 and six in that conference, and, and most of those uh, you know, losses, of course at home come in conference play. But the uh, reality of it is, this is a game that we're capable of winning. We're also it's a game that we're capable of losing. I don't think there's any question about that. We got to get out and go bring our best effort. You know what else is going on? You know when you begin to look at, you know how the NIT is, you know, working so far. I think when you look at, you know, Mississippi State situation here. I think if you know, if I'm a player at Mississippi State, I've got a real opportunity here to go make some things happen. Now, does it change the trajectory of the program? No, it does not. And that's one of the things that we we're, you know, we're kind of kind of tired of pulling up that. Um, nit bracket so let's take a quick look at mississippi state's side of the bracket of course in the event that we win the game we would play north texas and that's mccaslin that's a guy that's a, a candidate for the job at mississippi state i would not say that he is in the top tier but he is a guy too that if we end up hiring him it wouldn't be you know the worst of all things uh, they get by texas state with a 67 63 win in overtime so, should we advance, that's who we would play. The other side of our part of the bracket and our little quadrant there, Oklahoma wins their first game over Missouri State. And then the Bonnie, St. Bonaventure, beats Colorado to eliminate those guys. So, should we make it win this one and then beat North Texas, we would play the winner of the Oklahoma St. Bonaventure game with the opportunity to go to Madison Square Garden. Again it's, not, again, it's not the tournament, but uh, the reality of it is is that uh, it's another game to play, so we want Mississippi State to do well. Xavier wins last night over Cleveland State, eliminates Dennis Gates and those guys there. Dennis Gates, a guy that's been mentioned in connection with the Mississippi State search, not a serious candidate, but another name uh, that we have run across. Florida, of course, with an interim coach, will play Iona. Vanderbilt wins last night, and they take down Belmont, uh, 82-71. And they will play the winner of Toledo and Dayton. So when you look around here, it's like you begin to think there are some familiar faces for us. You know, some, some rooting interest, I guess you could say. The complete other side of the bracket, SMU, uh, will take on Nichols State. The winner of that game will play Washington State, that defeated Santa Clara. St. Louis, the Billikens, uh, those guys still waiting to play their game against you and I. They will play BYU or Long Beach State. Texas A&M, Buzz Peterson still chirping about them uh, being held out of the NCAA tournament. They beat Alcorn State last night, 74-62. They will play Oregon in their next game, 83-72 winners over Utah State. Virginia Commonwealth, the Rams take down Princeton. They will play the winner of Wake Forest and Towson State. So that's your NIT schedule it's not as much fun to talk about though is it it's just it's not it's just not not the same last year core state uh the runner-up in the nit to memphis the team probably should have been in the dance they are this year we're not so we didn't parlay our success from a year ago even though marginal as it may be we didn't take the next step and now here we are kind of dealing with all this nit stuff again uh but yeah can we win tonight? Absolutely. Will we? It's difficult to say. Anytime that you got to go on the road in dark color, Jersey, I mean, it's, it's always a dicey proposition. And my hope is that Mississippi State will bring a good effort. And people would say, well, Steve, you know, what if Ben Hallin wins the NIT? I don't think it has any bearing on the decision that we have to make. And I also don't think Mississippi State is going to win the NIT because we're going to have to win a handful of games on the road. And that's been difficult for us to do. Just one win on an opponent's home floor on the entire year. So we're going to be asking them to do something that they're not very skilled at doing in order to advance their season. Uh, But even in the end, if Ben Howell wins the NIT, while the optics on that may not be advantageous in many respects, I think seven years is a big enough sample size. And to be fair, I think we simply deserve a little bit more than this. We shouldn't be an NCAA bubble team every year and then be relegated to the NIT. It gets old, doesn't it? I mean, don't you get tired of filling out your bracket and not having an opportunity to put Mississippi State's name in your bracket? It's been rough, man. It has been. When you begin to look at all this and you begin to think, okay, you know, the, the Ben Howland era, it, it hasn't been the worst of times. But it hadn't been the best of times. And that's really the deal is we win a lot of games that we should, but we never appear to win many that we shouldn't in order for us to take the next step as a program, we're gonna to have to start pulling off some upsets. I mean, really, what is the big, the big win? You know, we beat Auburn here a couple years ago that uh, kind of removed all doubt about us getting into the dance. But, uh, you know, you know Ben Howland, the guy that was uh, regularly in the tournament in his career, you know, he had the first two years there at Northern Arizona that were pretty lean years. He makes the NIT the next year Makes the big dance the next year. And then the next year, they're 21 and eight, and uh, he takes the job at Pitt. Losing record the first year at Pitt. NIT the second round, and then Sweet 16 and back to back years. And you start looking at this and say, hey, this Ben Howland guy knows how to coach. Take a, a program like Pitt that uh, has some tradition, but they're not what you would consider a blue blood by any stretch. He gets to UCLA, and again, year one, is a losing record, 11-17, and and that's kind of par for the course when you're implementing a new system with somebody else's players. Year number two, he gets to the NCAA tournament, eliminated in the first round. In year three at UCLA, NCAA runner-up. They win the conference that year. Final four the next year, final four the next year, three consecutive final fours, and you feel like, hey, Ben Howland and the Bruins are just... On the verge of kind of breaking through. Really solidified Ben as a tremendous coach. The next year, they win a game in the tournament, eliminated the second game. A losing record the next year, make it to the second game, the second round of the tournament, and then it's a 1914 year, and then we make the tournament and get eliminated, and then Ben Howland is done at UCLA. Out of basketball for a couple years, doing some TV. Wanted to get back into coaching. We had a lot of people out there that, um, out in the West, they were eager for him to get out of the Pac-10, Pac-12. They wanted you know, to get him somewhere else because the guy could really coach. He comes here, and, of course, again, and it's par for the course. And, again, this is not a criticism of Ben, but it's a losing record the first year. And we, we were an absolute mess, an absolute mess. Year two, we're 500. We sit home for the postseason, but we felt like we were turning in the right direction. We make the final four of the NIT in year three and finally make the dance. You see a natural progression, right? Losing record, we pull even, make the NIT and have a nice run there. And then we get upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament, our first trip in a long time. In 2020, they're out there, those out there, the Ben Howland supporters that will tell you that we were going to make the dance, uh, we weren't. You can said, "Well, Steve, you don't know for sure. We didn't play the conference tournaments, and you're right about that. You know, if we'd won a couple of games in the conference tournament, I think we'd make it. Who we had to play: Florida and Kentucky. I just don't think it was going to happen. Either way, it's all speculation at this point. Then last year, of course, we uh, make it to the finals of the NIT, an 18 and 15 record, and an 8 and 10 in the league. Identical records this year: 18 and 15, 8 and 10 in the league. And so the question you begin to ask again." Is are we trending in the right direction? And listen, let's be honest, Mississippi State, you know, there were times under Stansbury years that um, you know we had some real success. But the reality of it is, is that uh, we are not a team that has a ton of tradition. And we you know we've talked about that, you know, in, in the past. We would like to be a better basketball school. We would. But, you know, we're a program that um, has had some success. We had a good run at times under Rick Stansbury, you know, really Outside of the Babe McCarthy years, you know, the early 2000s, we're kind of the golden age of Mississippi State basketball. We make the tournament 2002, 3, 4, 5, 8, and 9. I mean, that's a decade there. We're, you know, we're there more times than we're not. We hadn't been but one time since then. And I, we've got a lot of fans that are very passionate about men's basketball. Very much so. We've only had two conference championships really in my lifetime, 91 and 2004. We'd like to be a better job. We've got to get the right coach. There's no question about it. You know, you get tired of not going, right? That's the reality of it. It's like, you know, we get excited about it, and we think, okay, maybe the, Steve will be a tournament team. I think more times than not in the last few years, we've had the talent to get there. We just haven't been able to do it. And when you have the talent, it only leaves one thing. Now, there has been a lot of discussion about fan support, and in many respects, a lack of fan support. And that's the thing that I go back to. That's the biggest indictment to me on the Ben Howland era. And there are a lot of people that really like Ben. You, you, you won't find anybody in Star Wars that's got anything negative to say about Ben Howland as a person. I mean, ever. You never hear anybody that says, oh, you're not going to believe this. You, just, you, don't, you don't hear that stuff. You just don't. He's just a good guy that hadn't won enough. And that's the real rub, right? is that we're just we not going to turn out and support this basketball program. And much to the chagrin of some people that really love Mississippi State men's basketball. I'd like to get to a point where the tickets are hard to get. I mean, you, you see what's happening at Auburn. And you see the college kids camping out to get tickets. It used to be that way here at Mississippi State. And it can be that way again if we make the right hire. Final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you before, if I'm moving to Starkville, I'm moving to Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Close enough for convenience, far enough away for a little privacy. I dig it. I like it. I live out in the sticks right now. It'd be nice not to have to make that big drive after a ball game. Maybe it's your ballgame we can retreat. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Either way, Portico has a place for you. Everybody wants to have a place in Starkville. You hear it all the time. Oh, we have a place. You too could have a place. Portico is the way to go. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe you're thinking, hey, now is the time to move our family closer to Mississippi State. Maybe it's time for us to be in the Golden Triangle. Portico can make it affordable, give you the latest and greatest in construction in the greater Starkville area. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call today at 601 416 8075. Of course, you know, that, you know the name. Brooks Bryan, of course, played baseball here at Mississippi State. Robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. One of the best defensive plays in Mississippi State baseball history. You have Brooks, part of a great group of folks that are bringing this great residential development to our area. You can start with a two bedroom, two bath home, go all the way up to a four bedroom, four bath home, pretty much any size home for any size family. Check it out today. Make Portico your next move. All right, so the inevitable question, people say, well, Steve, where are we in the coaching search? Well, we don't, quote, officially have a coaching search. That doesn't mean there hasn't been some conversation with some potential candidates or some due diligence done. That said, I think there are some games of interest for you in the NCAA tournament. You know, we've got Murray State coming up against San Francisco. Both of those head coaches, uh, McMahon and Golden, both mentioned in connection with the Mississippi State expected vacancy. Todd Golden, the guy, Bruce Pearl Disciple, he is a guy that uh, will kind of get after you a little bit. You know, they're in the tournament this year as an at-large, played in a tremendous league. They're in there against Gonzaga and St. Mary's. They kind of held their own. You know, so this is not like that they're, you know, just in some obscure basketball hipster conference that they don't play a league competition. They do. Murray State, obviously, uh, you know, McMahon's done a great job there. There have been some connections with him in Florida. I don't get the sense that he is the priority candidate at Florida, but I do think that he is on the short list at Florida, as he is on the short list at Mississippi State. And again, there have been some conversations about potentially bringing him to Starkville. And then, of course, there's Chris Jans out of New Mexico State, a guy that has done a great job coaching everywhere he's been. And I'll be honest with you, I think all three of those can't. I don't think you can go wrong. I think all three of those gentlemen are on the way up. I don't think there's any question. They know how to coach. Now, you look at Todd Golden and say, well, Steve, it's a small sample size. That's absolutely correct. It is. A little risk-reward there, I guess you could say, you know, with him. You know, so a younger guy that's kind of moving up the ranks a bit. But do we want to look up 10 years from now and see him, you know, somewhere else, like at Auburn? After Bruce Pearl's resigned or retired, you know, sometimes you got to get the up and comer. Um, but I don't think that he is. I think he's probably maybe a little bit behind McMahon and Jans, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, and here's the thing about Chris Jans: this is a guy that started in the junior college ranks. And when I think about the NCAA transfer portal and kind of what we've seen happen to the game in the last couple of years. Some junior college experience, I think, helps. Because when you're installing your offense, it's like in JUCO, you're never really building anything. You know, it's a new team in many respects every year. And so with the portal, with guys going into the portal and you bring guys out of the portal, I think it helps to have a guy that knows how to implement his system very, very quickly to a new group of players. Now, when you look at his at his career Path. it's rather interesting you know he was at kirkwood and independence and howard college and then chipola uh down there in the panhandle conference here in the south next thing you know you know he's kind of bouncing around a little bit he's at illinois state as an assistant coach and then he goes to wichita state and they had some great success there And a lot of people will tell you he was kind of the secret of the success of the shocker basketball program he gets elevated to the head coaching position at Bowling Green. Is there a couple of years? Goes back to Wichita State, and then gets another chance to be a head coach there at New Mexico State. The one year he's at Bowling Green, they go 21 and 12. He goes to New Mexico State, out in the Western Athletic Conference, and I think it's important too to kind of look uh, kind of where we've come from. You know, when you look at New Mexico State, you know, basketball, you know, it, it's again this is a team that. Um, has had some tradition i guess you could say they've been to the final four once been to the elite 8 once kind of sounds like us right been to the sweet 16 five times but a lot of that success you know came really prior to 1990 i think that's probably fair to say you know and then all of a sudden you, you kind of look at you kind of where how things have have developed here in recent years you know jans gets there in 17 and 18 you know they were on a pretty good trajectory uh you know with Marvin Menzies i mean it was uh they were in the tournament most years and so they bring in a guy that's able to sustain and then build upon that same level of success so i guess paul weir was there kind of the stopgap between the two but this is a team that was consistently winning in the mid 20s doing a really nice job here and then Jans gets there, and in 2017-18, they're 28 and 6. They win the conference. They make it to the first round. The next year, 28 and 6, they win the conference. Make tournament, eliminated first round. The next year, 30 and 5, they win the conference. Get the tournament, eliminate the first round. So there's something to be, I guess, in some ways concerned about that, right? 2019 and 20, they go undefeated in the conference and win it. So the four years that he, excuse me, the three years that he is there as a head coach prior to the cancellation of the 2020 year, they win the conference, win the conference. And of course they win the um, the conference tournament, the two years that it was held in 2020, we didn't do it. Then of course there's, you know, there's this year. You know, so we'll see how things progress. It was kind of a difficult year last year in 2021, kind of difficult to judge anybody. It made the finals of the Western Conference Tournament, Western Athletic Conference Tournament last year uh, and got defeated. But uh, it was kind of a weird year in some conferences. But, you know, there are a lot of people that build a program, Chris goes in and then takes a good program and makes them really good. I can't say he's made them great, but he's made them really good. they are a team that people don't really want to face. They do a great job in their league. And, of course, he's made the tournament. Hasn't had a lot of success in the tournament. But they've made it, which is more than we can say as of late. Now, the other really popular name, of course, is Matt McMahon. I really like him a lot, too. I don't think there's any question that this is a guy that would do a great job at Mississippi State. Currently the head coach at Murray State. They are an o- o- Ohio Valley Conference power. They don't play a lot of players, though. They don't play a lot of Team, so it's not, it's not necessarily the most competitive conference. Produced some good players, as you guys are well aware. This is his first head coaching position, and he was promoted from within. Began his career at Appalachian State, played there as a shooting guard, goes to work there as a GA. Then he's at Tennessee for a couple seasons. He takes a job at Appalachian State as an assistant, moves on to UNC Wilmington for a couple of years, gets the Murray State assistant coaching position. They promote from within there in 2015. So let's just kind of take a look and see what he has done. You know, as a head coach, 17 and 14 in year one, 16 and 17 in year two. They don't panic, they stick with him. Year three, it's a 26 and 6 year. 16 and 2 in the Ohio Valley, they win the conference. They make it a tournament, they get beat. The next year, 28 and 5, tied for first in the conference, goes 16 and 2. They win their first game, losing a second. The next year, 23 and 9, also tied for first in the conference, 15 and 3 in the league. Postseason's canceled. Last year, kind of a wild year for everybody. Again, 13 and 13, 10 and 10 in the league. Uh, You can kind of throw that one out. This year, 30 and 2, 18 and 0, undefeated in the league and ready to play an NCAA tournament game against San Francisco. So you, you look at these guys and you realize okay, Jans has had more experience. Uh, and also has played in a variety of conferences and and, uh, and, and brought some good things around. Uh, McMahon probably has uh, maybe some more ties to our natural recruiting footprint, but you know, that's the thing about college basketball. Guys in college basketball will go anywhere to play. You know, Todd Golden, of course, uh, out at San Francisco. A lot of people are really high on him, a lot of people think whether we hire him or somebody else does but you're gonna look up here soon you're gonna be like you know what this guy's a legit guy not a lot of experience a much smaller sample size he played college basketball played at st mary's and spent some time playing overseas came back went to work at columbia as an assistant then he was hired by bruce pearl and was there through 16 as an assistant coach Got a job out in Presco as an assistant that they promote from within. And, uh, you know, here's the thing about him. The first year, 22 and 12. The next year, 11 and 14. This year, 24 and 9. So you look at it and you say, Steve, you know, he really hasn't proven himself. And maybe he hasn't. And I think that's one of the reasons that he is um, maybe behind McMahon and Jans a little bit. Not to say that he doesn't make sense because he does there's just not as much of a resume that you look at and say you know what hey this makes a lot of sense to me so we're working through it all Uh, but I think you know as soon as Mississippi State season is over there will be a formal announcement probably not immediately maybe a day or so maybe the next day whatever Uh, and then we'll get really serious about this And, and a lot of people think that we can't interview candidates until we fired the coach that's just not true Just not how it works. But the reality of it is, is that we are trending toward change. And so we'll make an announcement, and then once the coaches that we are talking to, their seasons end, we will get real serious about finalizing a contract. I don't think this is a process that is going to linger on. I think we have done a good job uh, kind of preparing for the inevitability of this moment. And in many respects, I, I believe this has kind of been coming for a couple of years. Yeah, I think it's kind of been trending in this direction. And he said, well, Steve, you know, we nearly won the NIT last year. And that's true. It's true against a team that was better than us. And, again, it's kind of a microcosm of the Ben Howland experience. You know, we, we get in there and fight tooth and nail and make a game of it, and then we, we can't close it out. We just haven't been able to get over the hump. And so we're renovating the Humphrey Coliseum. New blood is on the way in the head coaching position. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, And then we'll kind of see how things go from there. But, you know, there are some other names out there. Uh, Obviously, you know, Nico Medved at uh, Colorado State is a guy. We talked about McCaswell in North Texas. There are still some other names out there. Of course, Andy Kennedy's name gets tossed around. A lot of Mississippi people would like to see us hire him. I don't think it gets to him. I know that I believe he would take the job, but I don't think it gets to him. I believe that your next big basketball coach, men's basketball coach will come from those three names: Matt McMahon at Murray State, Todd Golden at San Francisco, or Chris Jans at New Mexico State. I believe your next men's basketball coach is one of those three individuals, and we'll see how things kind of progress from there. Eager and excited to kind of see what happens. We, we you know, a new broom sweeps clean. That's true, but uh, we need some life, and I think that's one of the things when I look at some of these guys like Chris Jans. You know, their their style of offense. I think will put people in the seats. I do. You know, Matt McMahon is a little more, you know, half-court, grinded out, but they're very efficient in what they do. You know, one of the top uh, offensive efficiency teams in the country. Uh, so we'll see how things progress. But uh, you know, for now, you know, no matter your feelings about Ben Howland or the direction of the potential coaching search, which is not really a potential search, the search has been ongoing no matter what you think about that tonight, Mississippi state is on the floor. So let's go pull for Mississippi state to get a win, uh, playing the NIT in no way impacts the coaching search. It's not like all of a sudden, okay, well, we haven't done anything now, but now that the season's over, we can get started. That process has been ongoing for some time, but tonight the maroon and whites on the court. So let's go pull for a Mississippi state victory. And then we'll, uh, we'll see what shakes from there. Uh, Again, I see the game as pretty much a toss-up, but I do think it'll be a low-scoring affair, and I hope that Mississippi State uh, will play well. All right, that's going to do it for today. I want to remind you guys, too, You know, if, if you're looking for books, you can find them at dogpilethebook.com. Also, too, before I go, I want to share with you guys a brief story that, that's not really connected to me. Um, it is connected to me in some respects just because we have the same publisher. But I want to share this. I'm going I'm to share this with you, and you can order this the dogpilethebook.com. It's uh, actually on our website that uh, the publisher set up for my books. But uh, if you can't remember that, which you should be able to, there is another book called Path to Enlightened Turkey Hunting. I didn't write this book. It's by former Mississippi State Professor Emeritus Jim Miller, James E. Miller. And it's just in time for turkey hunting season. And I said that like a South Mississippi guy. I, I've never been turkey hunting. It's not my thing. But uh, Professor Miller passed away before this book was published because of all the supply and issues. And there's been so many issues that have happened uh, that have delayed the publication of these books. And even though Professor Miller, you know, is on my label uh, or with um, my same publisher, you know, we we had some decisions to make. You know, he was kind of in ailing health. But... Uh, But anyway, let me read you this. Uh, As the subtitle suggests, a naturalist's observations, memorable hunts, and camaraderie suggests this book is based on the author's treasure of memories, knowledge, and many years of professional experience. Travel with Miller as he navigates his outdoor life as a hunter and a naturalist. Join him as he pits his savvy knowledge against the willy turkey gobbler. Sadly, Jim Miller will not be able to hold this book in his earthly hands as he passed away of COVID-related complications on January 24th uh, and all of that is true and um, this is basically Jim Miller's opus you know this is like you know his memoirs of a life lived as a naturalist and uh, the joy of turkey hunting and so I encourage you maybe if you were a student of Professor Miller or perhaps a friend or maybe you just have a turkey hunter in your life uh, you can find it over a dog pile the book or if uh, to make it even easier because there will be some people that won't, won't quite get it. Um, it, turkeyhuntingbook.com. How about that? I want to find the turkey hunting book. Go to turkeyhuntingbook.com. And, again, that's not my book. I don't make anything from it. I just feel that um, since even I, I never met Jim Miller, that uh, the fact that we share the same publisher, I want to do what I can to kind of help that family. There was a kind of a short run of books on that. There's not a lot of inventory. So I would encourage you, if uh, if you want to read about turkey hunting, you want to read about Jim Miller, give that book an opportunity. And, of course, uh, all my books available over there, uh, pretty exciting stuff for me, uh, dog pile number one in Mississippi, pretty exciting stuff. And, uh, and enjoying a much-needed break this week from the road. I'll be honest with you, my cup was empty. I'm happy to have some little time here to kind of reconnect and And uh, get caught up, man. It's like I I declared email bankruptcy when I left corporate America, so I check my email about once a week. When I'm on the road, I don't check it at all. Uh, I figure anybody that needs to get a hold of me can do so by phone. But the reality of it is I'm having a blast, but I'm enjoying having a little bit of a break. and I'll be back on the road next week uh, as we get ready to go, and I'll be at uh, Georgia this weekend. So, again, we're going to record the Friday show probably Thursday night, so look for that early morning on Friday as I plan to hit the road Uh, sooner rather than later that's it for today man enjoy your day look forward to seeing the bulldogs play tonight until next time let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it